This podcast is sponsored by Regatta Outdoors. It's a glorious spring day and you're heading out on a walk. What do you bring with you? A paper map? Plenty of snacks? Well, of course they're important, but any seasoned hiker will tell you that footwear is the first thing to consider. Whether you prefer relaxed rambles or challenging summits, comfortable and reliable shoes are essential. Regatta has waterproof and breathable footwear for the whole family, for every outdoor occasion. Discover the range in stores nationwide and at regatta.com. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Fergus. I'm your host. And this week we're heading into Dorset countryside in the company of podcast regular and dear friend Kevin Parr. He's out walking, or should I say stalking, with a deer hunter whose job it is is to cull deer. So Kev is finding out why he does it and how he does it. And it's an absolutely fascinating insight into the modern British countryside. So I hope you find this fascinating and join us in the podcast studio afterwards where we discuss some of the issues that are raised in this podcast adventure. Uh, it's Sunday evening. Um, we've <laughs> just stepped out of the van and immediately we found a, a buzzard on the ground on a rabbit by the looks of it. And I am... Somewhere in Dorset. I'm with someone I've met a couple of times. I'm not going to mention his name or the precise area just because it's not a controversial area. It could be delicate though. So we're just going to keep things sensible, if you like. Oh, there's a pheasant running across the field. I'm with someone who um, has a, a quite an unknown role in the countryside but is probably one of the most important roles and that is uh, as a deer stalker it's not just for sport or for food but it's an essential role because without any apex predators taking a deer and without man uh, we always used to hunt deer um, their numbers are uncontrolled and not only can they then do damage to crops or saplings, trees, um, it leaves them ripe for disease, um, illness. So it's really good, it's vital to have someone who's keeping an eye on a deer and then thinning them out. And I guess you normally just look for the older animals or the disease usually infirm or elderly uh but it depends on the numbers sometimes you know I, yeah, I have to take younger ones but generally speaking uh elderly there are very few um deer that are in bad shape on this farm they're all in good condition because the, the food is abundant yes yeah so generally i've only ever shot a couple with in over in 20 odd years with um broken legs you know maybe hit with a car or whatever yeah but you they can survive on three legs very easily i've seen yeah, yeah. i've seen deer often yeah. with yeah, yeah or with one leg that's sort of hanging off yeah yeah <laughs> exactly okay. yeah so uh, they're, they're incredibly good at survival um but yeah generally speaking elderly or infirm 
but if the numbers are high, depending on the time of year, yeah, um, you take what is allowed legally. You know, sometimes it has to be a youngster because that's the only ones that you can get close to. Okay. Yeah. So should we go and have a look down by the gate? Absolutely. Usually on this farm, fallow and row. The row aren't a problem, but the fallow can be. Big numbers. Yeah. Move into a field, roll it flat, particularly during the summertime when the crops are up. Uh, so I'm, I always just keep an eye on numbers uh, and make sure that the farmer's interests are kept at, um, you know, in, at the forefront. But he is very keen that I yeah. do it in an ethical way and not overshoot. So I probably only on this farm ever shoot more, no more than 20 fallow a year. Okay. Um, and given the numbers of, I mean, I... I I see a lot of deer right across the county, but certainly see plenty. Yeah. There's, there's really yeah. good numbers. There's huge numbers around, <laughs> yeah. Um, quite often I'll, I'll say to somebody when I'm at work, what are you doing this evening? And I'll say, I'm going deer stalking. And they always quite often respond by saying, are there any deer around here then? <laughs> and, you know, I just say to them, you should come to the farm where I shoot. I bet, I bet. <laughs> um, and I should, I should probably add that you have a, a really good relationship with the farmer here. Very and much and so. the reason we're not mentioning the name or anything else is, is not because you're not allowed to be here. Yeah. I think you've, sort of 20 odd years you said you've been yeah. looking after this estate. So Yeah, 25 years. Actually. 25 years. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not the issue. It's just just purely just being yeah. careful, really. Yeah. Buzzard's still going. So what you're obviously scanning about. Yeah, just checking if there's anything about it. It's a little bit early yet. Still plenty of light. But they can always catch you by surprise. You know, you think, oh, they're not going to be out yet. And then there's a big group of them standing in the field. But as there's nothing here at the moment, we'll move on to the next viewpoint. Of course. Okay. Bounded by the roads. And you can see virtually everything you need to see. So you don't have to walk miles. That's a good thing. So up here, Oops. in the field at the top, yep. looking up there, looks like two row from, from here. <laughs> That's incredible. I can't even see where you're looking I'm getting the bins we've just pulled up on the side of the road so see the see this green field oh here? yes then yep. up above there's two, yep. two row up the top there and you get to know by the body shape what they are that they're because I mean that's amazing you knew they were road before and they're what yeah. half a mile away yeah um and <laughs> it's just experience yeah absolutely because de deer are, to be fair they're not obvious, no. um, the different species. Are, are, I mean, they would be, obviously, to you, but they're not um, completely obvious. And we've got three species locally, I guess. Yeah, seeker. Fallow and, Fallow and row. row. And row are the only ones that are actually native, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they are. So I'm just looking at the moment, just around in the little gullies and, and you know, in the under hedges and trees and whatever because they sort of tend to and do you know individual animals can do yeah there's uh, particularly with roe you know you get to know your you get to know your deer quite well there's a lot of does around with their youngsters at the moment yeah it's lovely because there's never been a massive amount of roe on this farm but this year there's a lot of youngsters and there's not been 
any massive mortality amongst them. So there's a lot of young, young row around, which is lovely to see. But we, he, you know, he leaves it up to me um, to use my discretion as far as the row are concerned. It's yeah. not, sometimes it's it's good to thin up the odd buck out, but there's a saying in the deer world that you can only control a deer population by shooting does. Um, a lot of people go out for trophies and whatever, but mine is purely management, and uh, and I shoot does just to uh, you know keep the numbers at bay. So we'll just go on a bit further. Yeah, this is all all our ground here. Yeah, as far as the eye can see get to know certain places where they may may be and may not be. Just keeping on the left because I saw some golden plover in that field. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah, I saw them actually yesterday were there yesterday. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you must and you must see sorry the sky is fantastic. Oh, incredible. Absolutely sense. stunning. Yeah, it's a um, beautiful part of the countryside yeah. isn't it? Big sky. The sun's probably gone down already has it or on, on its way down but there's some um, lovely colours because it's low cloud and hazy. We've turned away and we're heading east and yeah you must aside from the deer you must come across everything that moves in the countryside especially at this time I mean this is the, yeah. the time of day when things start to yeah. emerge. You become very attuned to the ground that you're on there's always something new every time I come out you I always see something that I haven't seen before either in a different position or interaction with other animals owls yeah I was gonna say yeah lots of owls oh, yeah. I mean, lots of buzzards nowadays yeah <laughs> but their numbers I think have, have dropped a little from when we've been around for about 11 years I think mm -hmm. And when we first came, I, I thought buzzards, they must be at the optimum level for the area. But, yeah. but I think they've just dropped a little. I think they've had a few sort of poorer recruitment years, but yeah, they're doing pretty well. Yeah. Do you see, you see barn owls, I guess? And the tawnies. Tawny, yeah. There we go. Oh, look at that. As so if this is a good... You knew there yeah. were going to be some here. So we've got... Looking at it, we've got... The real old youngster down on the right hand side. Oh yes, yeah. And there's a buck. The next one up is a buck. Then the one next to it is a doe. And then there's two couched, which are yeah. sitting in the in the uh, stubble. And they're and row they're both again. Does. Yeah, row does, yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay, yeah they're all row. Very rarely will they mix. Oh like in the on the left hand side, further up the field is another youngster. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. So that's a good Good number, actually. Because the road buck is quite easy because the antlers are just so single, two little yeah. spikes. Yeah. Whereas the fallow has the well, the, the um, antlers are those great sort of plates, big, aren't they? Yeah, the big sort of palmated antlers. So that's a nice, a nice scene. And they know the eyes are upon them. They're obviously staring at yeah. us. Is that something else just to the right of that? Oh, it's a. No, it's a pheasant or something, I think. Another way of um, telling which sex they are is the um, the buck, at certain times of year, particularly coming into the winter, their their backside's a caudal disc, which is the white white backside. Yeah. Um, on a buck, it's much less pronounced and more kidney-shaped, and that's a good way of... T 
telling whether it's a buck or a doe. And obviously when they're alert and alarmed, they'll fluff it up. And when they run away, you can uh, see it's a yes. big white patch. So the buckets are bigger? Uh, they're smaller, smaller slightly the smaller, bucket. yeah, and more kidney-shaped, whereas right. the does are much rounder, more round. And what do you think, I mean, is that a distraction? To, to sort of fluff it up and show it? Or? Yeah, I honestly don't know. I think it's just, um, you know, they're alarmed and they just fluff it up. I've no idea what the reason is. Yeah. There's, there's two over here now. That so they're quite interested in in us. Yes. But you, you said just now that the deer know your van. The fallow do. Some fallow, yeah. Oh, oh it's a barn owl. I don't believe it. Oh, oh what was that following? That? I can't believe that. That's amazing. <laughs> just, just talking uh, about owls and a barn owl just floats across. That was lovely. So this is the boundary of the farm. Yeah. As I say, it's all... Uh, you can view it most of the farm from the roads that sort of um, around the outside edge of it, uh, which makes my life a lot easier. Yes. Yeah. Cuts down on a lot of walking for nothing. I know that someone um, locally called the police because they were thinking they were up to no kid. That's right. Which yeah. is a bit disappointing. But then... Um, <laughs> I think I wrote something, and I can't remember, I was looking for it earlier, but I can't remember quite where it was, but I wrote about how I'd watched you, and, and you were completely oblivious, obviously, um, and you're on foot, and obviously following an animal, well, I saw so, you just disappear, and I thought, this is just incredible, because you, you've just melded into Oh, the... sorry, yes, that was another time, yeah, okay. that was just across here, and I'd fallen down a badger hole. <laughs> Which is fantastic. If only I was that stealthy. I know, and I've, I've written somewhere how incredible it is that you can just disappear into the into, into the landscape, uh, but only, you literally had only. disappeared. I would be much better at my job if, if I could. As always, just scanning everything gradually, slowly but surely, and just looking at the terrain. And you do, you do tend to get to know where they may well be, but you can always be surprised. Yeah. Because they just pop up when you're not expecting them, sort of thing. And I always look behind me because you've got a great habit of, you know, you don't think there's anything there, and then you're you're walking maybe and uh, you know along a hedgerow, and then you look behind you and one's popped out. So it's always a good thing to to keep uh, you know an eye open all around, not just in front of one. And at what point might you decide that you're going to take a shot or get out of the van? And oh, if if I'm actually after a particular you know, a a deer for the evening, yeah, um, I always you know I, I'll sort of select it if I if I'm looking around the farm and I see a particular deer that would suit. Um, and then I sort of work out which way the wind's blowing, and I don't want to get down no, downwind a bit. Uh, and I, I just sort of work out the best approach and there's always every animal that you go for has got a different you have to approach it differently you're weighing up the terrain which way the wind's blowing and and then I'll just sort of get the rifle ready and off I go and yeah. um, 
sometimes it's successful other times it's not uh, yeah and I imagine but because the you're never going to take a shot unless you know it's going to be a kill exactly um, yeah. and you're never going to take a shot if you don't know where that bullet's going to then always have a safe backdrop yeah um, uh, you know, the ideal backdrop is a, as in the uh, when I did my deer exams 20 years ago the DSC1 uh, which is deer stalking certificate one um, that, that the, the, the the wording is uh, a, a bank of rising bank of soft earth which was is okay. your ideal backdrop and you're I'm always incredibly safety conscious yes um, because that bullet can fly for two or three miles yeah um, so it's it's just never ever I never squeeze the trigger unless I'm absolutely certain that it's a safe backdrop you can never be 100% certain that you're going to you know knock an animal over cleanly because it's not an exact science but no. you trim out all the variables and go through a little mental checklist in your head you know is it safe what's it, you know work out the distance that, that you're shooting at you know where, where your rifle zeroed it I always zero, zero my rifle at 100, 100 yards okay um, and then I know um, you know if you do miss uh, it, hopefully it rarely happens um, but if you do it's not the uh, it's not the rifle's fault. It's your fault. And if I yeah. if I ever do miss, which is as I say quite rare, uh, I always go and zero the rifle again afterwards, just to make sure that it it was me, not the rifle. Yeah. Because you never know. You could sort of knock the rifle, um, you know, climbing over a gate or whatever. You know, it's not the scope and uh, put it out of zero. But rarely that happens because I'm always really careful with really careful with my rifle because it's my tool of it's the tool of my trade so yes okay. absolutely yeah okay we've got more deer down here so I tend to um, shoot I shoot out no more than for the animal's sake and for the animal's sake alone I never take a shot more than distance wise 180 yards something like that okay because i don't have to and uh you know if you do uh, you get a lot of people say oh and i shoot out 300 400 yards but you're never sure at that distance you know if you're gonna knock an animal over cleanly without any uh trauma to the animal you know it could yeah. could injure it could run off and whatever so i i because i i don't have to get one or, you know, if I'm out for a particular evening, if I don't feel that I have to get one, if I'm not under too much pressure as far as clearing numbers are concerned, yeah. then if I don't get close enough, I don't take the shot. And do, okay. you, do you aim for the heart? Yeah, I'd, I'd sort of always shoot just at the front leg, at the back of the front leg. You come up and it's two thirds down or a third up um, and it's the heart lung area. And so you've got a pretty much a four inch killing circle. Okay. Uh, and if you get it in that foot, so you haven't got to be, you know, a com you know, like a sniper, yes. you know, but you know that you've got a four inch circle where if you hit it, you're going to kill it sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. And it's humanely done. If you do your job properly, it doesn't know anything about it. And that is paramount in my, in my deer stalking. I always try to make sure that it's humanely dispatched. And that's such a reassurance, I think, for people who might question Hmm. Or, or be uncertain of of the whole ethical aspect. Yeah. The, yeah. And then, of course, the meat itself, you're going to go and eat or yeah. someone else will yeah. eat. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I trim my bullet loads down as much as I can. The bullet flies at 
probably about 2,600 to 2,700 feet per second, which is pretty wow. fast, obviously. But anything over that, you know, sort of anything over 3,000 feet per second, personally, I think wears the barrel out too quickly on your rifle. It's not really a big issue on my rifle because I'm only shooting this particular rifle I've got this evening. I'm only shooting, apart from zeroing, you know, I only shoot probably about 20 fallow a year, something like that, maximum, because yeah. uh, I don't need to shoot anymore. So it's not going to, it's not a wear and tear issue on the barrel. It's just the fact that you, you don't want to, you know, anything too fast can cause a lot of carcass damage. And that really is not what you want. So quite often, you know, you, they just change their habit. You'll get a big buck with a group of does, you know, and he, he protects them viciously <laughs> because, uh, you know, that's um, his fun for the year sort of thing. So over here, look, we have, see up here. So you've got this field, brown field, and then yeah. go slightly to the left. You've got a stubble field and then a, through a gateway oh, and then yes, another I've... stubble field. So there's two, they do Is there a there. third one in there? There's a paler one between... Yeah, looks like it, doesn't it? Yeah, actually, that looks like a common fallow. Actually, the one at the top, looking at it, is black. So that could be a black fallow. We've got an incredible view from here. We're in a gateway looking north, I think. So northeast. In fact, the moon's just rising, so we're looking east. <laughs> um, and it's a fantastic view. We can, I don't know, see probably three or four miles. Um, lovely folds, lights going quickly. And I don't know how you pick those deer out so easily. Because they're <laughs> In the field below, away. to the right, there's three, four, four row along the hedge line at the bottom. Can you see them? Wow. Um, mm. So we'll go down and have a quick look at those. But we might walk up and have a, a fallow at the top. So if we get going before it gets too dark. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. If something takes my fancy, we get moving. Sometimes you have to work nice and slowly. And yes. other times you have to get a bit of a rig on. So you're thinking now you might end up taking a shot or? Um, probably not. Okay. Because at this time of year, I leave, usually leave them alone during the run because they're full of testosterone in the butt. Yes. There's only bucks at the moment in the season and uh, because they're you know pumped up for the, the, for the coming rut they sort of uh, full of testosterone and it sort of tends to taint the meat slightly I think oh uh, yes yeah, yeah that makes sense yeah yeah so I try to leave them alone if possible but I always take the rifle just in case there's anything you know, that does need culling and it's injured or yeah elderly but that's uh, that's a You've probably seen them, Kev, over here. The um, there's three sort of subspecies of the, 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 the yes. common, which are the spotty ones, the white ones, and the black ones, melanistic and yeah. menil. Um, so there's a good complement over here of, of you know, different coloured ones, and I always tend to uh, I leave the white ones alone because they sort of shine out. Absolutely, and, and uh, they're my. And if I always say, if you see a white one, there's always some black ones with it. Yes. You may not I'll, be able to see them, but they're there. So, because I've always wondered, because a lot of people um, I've spoken to when I've walked around here and, and they're out looking for, for the white deer, mm. as if there's only one. And I say, well, I reckon there's probably 
one in 20 of the fallows are probably yeah, white. Yeah. A common mistake people make, think, they think um, that they're albino and they're absolutely no, not citizen. albino. They're, yeah. they're just a subspecies. I don't know what you've seen, fantastic. Okay, just one sec. So just, I'm just looking on that hedge line down there. Oh, were you looking right over, further over, or just? Oh, I see. Not quite sure. It's a stone. A pale lump there. <laughs> but it could have been the bottom of a row. It, it could but, have, yes. <laughs> and at this time of night, you quite often get fooled. By, by, the, the, by the fading light but it's always you know if you don't stop and look you could miss something yeah yeah it's not always a I love the the intensity it's it's so like fishing because the best time to fish is that's a funny looking lump actually isn't it it is I think it must have been dragged up by the, the harrow the farm machinery yeah. isn't it yeah okay off so we, there, we know this row up through there but what we'll do is we'll just walk up here Look into the field, see where the see where the fowl are. Have a closer look. Always not like the sound of a cattle grid. It, it <laughs> suggests you're going somewhere interesting. It does. <laughs> it does. There we go. Right, okay, let's get back and have a look. Brilliant. So we'll take the rifle just in case. Wind, which was quite stiff earlier, it's really dropped, hasn't it? Yeah, I love this time of day because all the signs of the day disappear, and yeah. then it's just peace. It's lovely. Nice smell as well. Yeah, very much so. I always load up four. Hopefully, you only ever need one, but just in case, you've got a backup if you need it. Yes. Okay, so. Just to show you, there's nothing. Nothing in the chamber. Nothing in the chamber. What I'll do is squeeze that up like that. So it's nothing okay. up the spout at all. Okay. So we'll just, because the light's going quickly, we'll head on up the yeah. top. Okay. We're just uh, creeping up the bank, having made. Quite a stiff path up the hill, hence my heavy breathing. These are the animals that we saw from the gateway. There's a small gap through the trees. Are they still there? Look along that edge line there. Just really down on the right hand side. Oh yeah. I'm gonna crouch right down here. Five. Yeah, there's five deer. Setting up a tripod and possibly take a shot. 
that's that's always there's a hedge in the way yeah. so for us to climb over especially because they're fallow so we're going to climb over there and then over the next one if we can get over there quietly we're in business okay One up spoke with the safety on, so the rifle's safe. Okay. We've, so we just see how close we can get. We've um, climbed over two barbed wire fences and worked through a hedgerow. But it's nice to think, you know, that you've seen that it's not, it's not easy. No, exactly. Fallow are quite difficult, as I said previously, and um, uh, that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Well, if they were just standing there and I shot them, I'd, you know, it's like park deer, you know, if you, if they cull park deer, you know, they just stand there, but that's not for me, I'm afraid. No, it's I can just hunter and me. Completely agree, and we're, we're back in the van, and we're, it's, the light's gone very quickly that last sort of 10 or 15 minutes and that was exhilarating it, it, and I, I had real mixed emotions as we were creeping up on these fallows because I sort of I don't know I, I didn't know how I'd feel either way um, there's obviously excitement which I get from, from fishing you sort of but, but equally 
given us the slip, there was just, I don't know, a different emotion. It was quite, as you say, it was, in a way, it's almost better, and you respect the animal more. Yeah. It didn't matter. It didn't matter at all that, yeah. we, that we didn't, yeah. we didn't get it. That is the word you use there, respect, is, is runs throughout yes. all I do. Um, it's respect for the animal, uh, even after it's on the ground dead. I still, you know, treat it with respect. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, respect for the area, the farm, farmland, and whatever. Being careful not to damage anything or whatever. Um, you know, that is a huge part of it. But now it's uh, slightly dark, isn't it? It is. It's and gone. It's, <laughs> sometimes you, this is just quite often when you come around the corner and there's a group of three or four standing in the middle <laughs> yes, of the road. Yeah. <laughs> I've had that so many I times, bet. so many times. And as we, we were just walking back to the van and um, I'm looking at the moon and it's a stunning moon, not quite full, but just a beautiful moonrise. And as you said, I mean, you don't need anything else on an evening like this. And it's no. a beautiful... Just go, go home happy, as yeah. I'm sure you do when you're, when you're fishing. Okay, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Very much so. A beautiful part of the world. It's been fantastic. Thank you ever so much. My pleasure entirely. With milder weather and longer days on the way, now is the time to dust off your hiking boots and enjoy the great British countryside. And wherever you go, whatever the terrain, Regatta Great Outdoors has the right footwear for any adventure. From grassy hills to rocky trails and even paved footpaths, there's a regatta shoe to suit your walking preferences. Discover lightweight trainers for day-to-day wear or walking shoes for multi-day hikes like the brand new Samaris 3. Combining comfort with performance, the Samaras 3 is available as a shoe and boot for both men and women and is ideal for all your hiking pursuits. Tech Foam InSock technology supports your foot, while an EVA midsole and shock-absorbing heel protects you from bumps along the way. Plus, it's waterproof and breathable, so your feet stay dry no matter the weather. Available to shop in stores nationwide and at regatta.com. Well, from dusk with a deer stalker in Dorset, we're back in the studio with two dear friends, Hannah and Jack, and I'm Fergus, and we're the podcast team. And just firstly, thank you to Kev for finding that amazing adventure, and it's thrown up lots of interesting thoughts in my mind. Anyway, happy to see you chaps. How are you both doing? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm sort of... I'm, I'm sort of still in dusk in Dorset rather than in the um, in the brightly lit studio. There's here. something about the quality of that whispering that kind of makes you really concentrate, makes you feel like you're there. That's true. It was quite tense. Did you find it quite tense towards the end when yeah, they were sort of definitely. You know, yeah. How are you, Jack? Fabulous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what were your impressions? What were your first impressions then of? I mean, because it's quite. It's, let's be let's be open and honest. It's a difficult subject for a lot of people shooting wild animals well i think the way that kev handled things was so good so delicate so measured there was a little bit of clicking of bullets going into chambers and things yeah. which, sort of, which sort of suddenly brought it made it very real but you're right kev did i think he did a very balanced job yeah. of, of to reiterate deer hunt deer stalking is quite it's a big thing in britain some people pay to go deer stalking as like a sport but this guy he does it to manage their numbers which is pretty crucial so that's kind of a big interesting thing about in order to preserve other natural habitats and wildlife some wildlife has to die and they talked did they they talked a bit about wolves the missing the missing predators yeah the apex predator is missing mm. so we sort of have to act as yeah 
that's it. Would you would you ever act as an apex predator? Hunt? I was thinking about this a lot actually because I knew we were talking about this today, and uh, it's really hard. It's so hard. I understand how it's important, but whether or not I could do it myself, I I I don't know. Have you ever held a gun? Or fired a gun. Paintball gun. A paintball gun, have you? <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> There's a certain joy in that, is there? Yes. <laughs> I've never done that. <laughs> but but so, so not a real gun you've not ever no, fired? No, no, um, Jack, have you ever fired a gun or held a gun? Use an air rifle mm. with scouts. Oh, of course, okay. You can yeah. do shooting, um, but you don't shoot anything that resembles human or animal. So it's in target only. Unless there's, uh, there's something out there that has... It looks like a circle, circle, yeah. <laughs> So, like, somewhat have used a gun-ish thing. But I find it, in, again, like hit you, I was thinking about it and how I feel. And there's the, the whole thing about if it's, if it's for, I know venison is a thing. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. understandable. I could, I, I had it for my lunch that. today, funny enough. <laughs> Not one I'd shot myself. But, um, anyway. So there's, there's that side of it. But also, I was, I mean, I'll, I'll come on to later, I was, I've watched a few things now where the reasoning of like killing some to help its prey survive or habitat or habitat yeah, yeah. it almost feels like why negatively affect that when you could positively affect the thing that's you're then helping let's put it like this gosh this is a tricky one <laughs> maybe you'd like to answer this one no, no, please. No. <laughs> um so you've got a very very populous creature so so um, let's go back to the predators predators tend not to and this is really controversial lots of people argue sparrowhawks eat all the garden birds yeah and it comes up all the time it's very rare for predators to eat themselves out of prey items so there's something got to be something else going on when you see declines of small birds very obvious to blame the big mm. thing with hooked bill and talons uh, whereas there are some more insidious things like pesticides or habitat loss and that sort of thing but with, with deer, where it's herbivores, they're, they're kind of, they're so numerous and because there's nothing controlling their population numbers, predator numbers are controlled by numbers of prey, whereas for, the, for, for deer, there's just tons, of, tons for them to eat. And also, which I don't think they mentioned in the podcast, but when I've looked into this issue before, there's so many crops for deer to eat. So there's always something, mm. you know, they will be mm. out in the crops feeding on maize or turnips or <laughs> whatever there is. And... Yeah, they're just constantly nibbling at any tree regrowth, any, you know, even bluebell woods get trashed, um, all sorts of, sort of lovely, delicate flora and things like sort of coppices where nightingales breed. That gets just mown down by deer. So there's, that's had a bigger impact on nightingales. So that's why there's nothing else, to, there's no other way of taking out the deer. Although they say the number one predator of deer is motor cars. Oh, have a guess how many, this, this might be slightly out of date, but have a guess how many deer are involved in, or how many road accidents involve deer in Britain every year. How many figures are we talking? We're talking five figures. Five figures. What? That isn't even close have, to have, Just have a guess and then we'll... we'll... 17,502. Uh, it's, it's more than that, Hannah. 25,702. That's really, that's closer than Jack, but it's 75,000. <laughs> Can you believe that? That's the deer. That's, <laughs> no. from the, that's from the Deer Society. Oh dear! Uh, oh dear! Yeah, I mean, but you, can you imagine? I mean, that, that's a lot. That's that's a lot. I mean, a lot of it is you know small things where a deer you know, gets hit and they counted. Uh, there's some damage to the car. Some of it could be a fatal accident where a deer. So there's 
there's this issue of there's a lot of deer in, in the UK and one method of controlling them. Now, there are other methods, but one method is through shooting and the other, other methods involve fencing. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, there's also more studies into the population dynamics and how you can perhaps use some drugs or sterilize some animals. So I think what's recognized largely is there's a problem and there are lots of solutions. Perhaps this solution with the bullet is the one which is most painful for people to take on board. That was a long answer. Sorry, Jack. <laughs> it's a good answer. I feel like you covered lots of points. Uh, it's, it's a funny one. I, I've, I have held a gun and shot things. I'm, I'm going to fess up here. When I lived on a hill in, in the Brecon Beacons, the Banai, Brecheniog, I had an air rifle and had such problems with squirrels eating every sapling. Every tree in the garden was just being mutilated by squirrels and the bird feeders would be ripped apart all the time even though I had squirrel proof bird feeders they were so what I did was I did shoot some of them and put them in the pot and ate them and there's articles on countryfile.com about <laughs> what happened there so I you know I felt actually no joy in killing them at all and I know lots of people who I know in locally get a great pleasure from stalking and hunting things because it sharpens their mm-hmm. senses and they get a sense of it's a skill. It's a great skill, but also I, I didn't enjoy killing things, so I didn't do it very often. But there was a time when it just became so maddening, and I couldn't find any other way. And I did eat every single one, which I don't know if that makes it any better. I think it does. I think it. Yeah, um, yeah I think it does because it's not a waste. For some people, though, holding a gun, shooting, uh, it, it's part of their lives, and mm-hmm. so perhaps we need to get someone on the uh, so someone on the show who talk a little bit more about that. Um, well, we had. Uh, memory last Christmas. Oh, we had Patrick. Yeah, Patrick, Patrick. Galbraith. Absolutely, we did, which was a great insight into the sort of world of shooting and game and game rearing, rearing birds for shooting. Um, another thing that I really liked about that, you, you sort of touched on it, Hannah, but the, the Kev creating this atmosphere, it was very well described and the rustling through the bushes, the whispering, the sense of being out at night. It's not, we haven't done that many evening or nighttime podcasts and I think we have talked about doing that so this season of sort of folk stories mm. and weird places and which I think Kev's story fits into it's almost going to be inevitable that we'll do nighttime ones because the nights are so long now <laughs> isn't it I have before we move on talking about sending stuff in I do actually re- remember I've got a sound from our good friend Brittany Colley oh really uh you, links what links to what we not links oh, links. <laughs> links to what we've spoken I about? Safe, dear predator. Links. Okay, okay, right. So we've got a sound from from Brett, who um, regular listeners will know Brett from previous episodes this year. She helps Jack as a producer. That's right. She does, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and she also loves joining us in the in the plot studio. So here we go. Are you ready for this? Yeah. So ready. I've got a video too, so you'll be able to see. We'll see put it, it on our Facebook page. What on earth is that? It's a great tit in extreme pain. Can I see the video? That's, yeah. that's, I can't see the video, so you're going to have to describe it for me. It's a video of Brittany Collie slowly zooming in on a stag. A stag? Oh, that was a bellow of a stag, was it? Yes. It sounds like a door squeak. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that's a wardrobe door. <laughs> <laughs> Do you open your wardrobe door and a deer pops out? <laughs> I think that's a roe deer. That's cool. I've never heard of roe deer. How would you describe that? Squeaky door. Squeaky door. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> I'd say ghostly shriek. But, um, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, Halloween's over now, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so we love, we love hearing that. So if you recorded any sounds out there, well, deer bellowing, or just strange things that you've heard, beautiful things, things that might make us relax a bit, send them in. Sounds from the countryside again to editor at countryfile.com. We, we have some, we'll come to our latest listeners' emails shortly. Sightings and happenings, it's our regular slot because it's a week since we've last seen each other. Has anything happened in your life that have you been out in the, in the wild? I've had some moths. I've had moths. I've had moths. It's been a moth, moth time. Um, I've also Moth-tober. seen Moth-tober. <laughs> lots and lots and lots of jays. Jays, yes. Loads yeah, of jays. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 And they fly like they've forgotten how to fly. Like they just have a little go at it and they're like, oh, I can't fly. Oh, no, I need to fly again. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> they're great. They sort of fold their wings in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. And they, yes, they bubble. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And then presumably they're after all the acres. It's been a big ache on you. Mm. So I th- presumably that they're doing sense. their job as um, acorn distributors and eaters. So jays, jays in the wild, moths in t- I, I'll say again, moth-tober. You're not going to get a sec- <laughs> second no, laugh no, at that. No, I didn't get first you barely laugh. Got first. Um, Jack, how about you? Anything in the wild? Not, not too much, actually. I'm, I've been a bit quiet this week. Yeah, mm. you've been stuck inside. Yeah. With, the, with, the, with the rain, rainy weather. Yeah. Uh, it has been a bit miserable. Yeah, I, I, I saw a devil's coach horse. Do you know what a devil's coach horse is? Insect. It is. Do you know what type of insect? Small one. Well, it's not as small as you think. It's a beetle, but it's, ah. um, it has these. It's quite a long, thin beetle, and when you go near it, it raises up its abdomen really aggressively, like a kind of, like it really wants to fight you. But the other end has these enormous pincers on, um, which do, as I've experienced, give a very nasty bite. Ooh. Not this time, Good. but as a kid. I met a lot of Didn't want to fight it this time. I, no, 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 I've known. I, I will, I'll, I just give in. But um, really interesting to see one, and they just scurry around and... I've got a lovely photo. I'll try and put that on Facebook as well. So devil's coach horses, look out for them. Quite late in the year for all these moths and other mm. insects, which again, Jack, shows your... Sorry. Yeah, but it's been warm, hasn't it? So has, it sort of makes has. sense. They haven't gone into hibernation. Yeah. Whatever. Tell us what you've been up to. Tell us about what life's like in your area. What's the weather like? Though? What's the weather like? Have you seen any strange insects? Send in your thoughts. Editor at countryfile.com. I do have a really nice email. But it's from someone called Hannah, so I think you're going to have to... <laughs> Hannah. Um, it's, Wouldn't that just be terribly confusing? Not really. I think I think it'd be weird for Jack to read. So this one is from Hannah Bowley. A few weeks ago, I was listening to episode two hundred and four from the twenty fifth of July. However, the timing became rather interesting. In that episode, you were discussing swifts and swallows with Hannah and Jack, and how they all would have left the country by the end of July. At the time, I thought I must email Fergus because at the end of August, I had been visiting the lost gardens of Heligan in Cornwall and had sat for about 20 minutes watching large numbers of swifts and swallows as they circled and called and were generally very busy in and around a large old beech tree. I didn't get around to contacting you at that time, but imagine my surprise when on the 1st of October I found swallows again circling overhead. Fewer this time, but definitely swallows. I could clearly see them as they were not far above me and I was standing on an open beach at the time. So what is going on with the timing? Is it just that I am in the south of the country or have these birds decided to hang around longer this year? The beach I was on was Slapton Sands, which runs parallel to Slapton Lay Nature Reserve in South Devon. Again, I don't know whether you know the location, but their nature reserve is an area of fresh water, which is just a few metres away from the sea. 
within a mile of the A379 running along in between the two. As we sat in the car park above the beach, we saw activity in the water and thought it was dolphins. Another watcher next to us said he thought it was bluefin tuna. Whichever, we were thrilled to see large curved bodies jumping out of the water a couple of times and fish getting out of their way as well. With the sea and the nature reserve, maybe this would be another good venue for the podcast. Wow, lots in there. Thank you. Thanks, Hannah and Hannah. Um, there's quite a few things to unravel. I have been to Slapton Sands Nature Reserve, really interesting place and a really good place for a podcast. Also because that's where there was a D-Day practice run where a whole load of ships full of soldiers were drowned in um, awful accident. It was really terrible. So there's a tank on the beach there as a memorial to them. About 750 men drowned. Anyway, so gosh, tuna or dolphins, both are good. Both are amazing. I've heard lots of noise about more tuna appearing in our waters, whether that's just the numbers are returning because we've always had tuna in our waters, but they've been depleted through fishing or whether it's climate change. That's a moot point. But the other big point you make, Hannah, is about swifts and swallows. Now, I probably wasn't very clear when I talked about this and sometimes I'm very unclear, but um, swifts tend to leave at the end of July, early August, and then they're gone. I mean, you do see a few stragglers around and you will see a few later in the year. I actually did see a swallow. I should have said that in happenings and sightings. I saw a swallow yesterday, and we're in very late in um, in October recording this. Swallows and house martins, well, they'll breed, certainly house martins will breed well into September, and then they go. But there are always a few stragglers around. Um, you've probably seen, I know you've probably seen swallows and house martins quite late in the year in Bristol. Or I haven't seen any recently, but I definitely did see some after we talked about them leaving. Yeah, so I think, to, to clarify, <laughs> to, to, with hindsight, I think that it's the swifts that go like almost overnight, uh, so early. Like they arrive sluggards that they are in May. They soar around and lift our spirits for literally two and a half, three months, and then off they go. And, you know, it feels like months and months. It is months since they were here. So, with a certain sadness, come back, Swifts, please. Also, just to jump in, yes, mention the Lost Gardens of Heligan. Mm-hmm. We have got an episode from there. Back, if you head back to the first year of the podcast, Annabelle right. went to the Lost Guns hmm. with Tim Smith. That's right. Episode. That's a great episode. 35. Oh my goodness. Well, well remembered. That is one of the funniest episodes yeah. good. ever. That has, yeah, the mystery vegetable. It's brilliant. I, had, I, I still laugh. Think, well, we're laughing here in the studio. <laughs> so have a listen to that one, episode 35, Unmissable, with Tim Smith, as you say. So that's pretty much it. There was a, Jack. You mentioned before that you had a, I've got a TV program to recommend, but you also mentioned you had a TV program. We can revive our, li- our, our mini-series of TV <laughs> programs that we'd like to recommend out the countryside. I've got two. What? Yeah. Oh, you, can, you can throw one in. I'll go with the biggie first, because okay. I mentioned it before. Uh-huh. Planet Earth Freeze uh, was started it coming out. I, haven't, I didn't see it. Was it. Episode one, very good. Really? I think just the upgrade in technology, Ooh. like the first chunk of the first episode you've got, High definition underwater shots, mm. drone shots from directly above, and you're like, "This is mad!" Like ten years ago, you How wouldn't have you do that? got this sort of footage. Yes, but it also feels very because I think it's the last of the Planet Earth trilogy. It feels very. Some bits are quite heavy, and not in like the way of like everything's dying out. <laughs> yeah, it's it is that it's not going on just to sort of the top level of like, are oh, this sad things happening because of climate change? It's kind of going climate change has caused this thing which has then led to this happening 
Mm. And it is, some of it is really quite sad and it is reflecting on it in this first episode towards the end. They even um, replay a bit of Attenborough's, some of his first stuff when he was oh, about 32. Wow. Oh, yeah. And then. I did actually see that bit. Yeah, back yeah, to this yeah, day. Yeah. And there was just something about it of like, in that time he was here to go look at the, the wonder that is our planet. And now it's kind of, he's had to shift into sort of, I've shown you the wonder. And now I need to show you that we're starting to ruin it. And there was something sort of bittersweet about yeah. ev- everything about the episode. And I think going forward, I think it's only going to get as... We should get Sir David on the podcast. It's going to But very good. Recommend it. It's on BBC. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, well, I'll dive in with a recommend. Mine's much, more down, uh, much smaller and down to earth. It's a little short film called mm. Beacons. Uh, short films from Wales. And this one is called Forest Culpit which is a little hamlet not far from Abergavenny, where I live. And this is just, it's only about 20 minutes long. You'll love this, Hannah. <laughs> it is, it's a two brothers who live together who I knew. Uh, well, one of them's still alive. Lawrence and Denver. And Denver, when I had my house on the hill where I shot the squirrels, Denver had the fields below. So I'd meet him every day coming home from work. And it would always put me half an hour later because he would just want to chat and lovely. Anyway, this film is the two of them talking about their lives together. It's just because Denver died a year ago or so, maybe a little bit longer. And you know, it's like a huge loss. These two brothers, though, had lived together. It's so like that book. On the Black Hill. On the Black Hill by Bruce Chatwin. It's so like that. And you can't believe reading that book that this could st- this could possibly exist in the 21st century. But there is elements of that. They are each other's whole lives. This film is just amazing. And you see the longest eyebrows you'll ever see <laughs> in the world. But Denver and Lawrence, uh, a brilliant film. So Sean Marshall Waters made the film, is the director, and Jessica Wheeler is the producer. Well done. It's filmed on 8mm film, so oh, it's got wow. that slightly grainy, jerky... Oh. Yeah, honestly, if you get a chance, I will give you my logins because it's 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 certainly warmed the cockles of my heart. It's lovely to see those two chaps just talking about their lives, totally different view of the world to the rest of us, really. And then my my second so, recommendation: yeah, yeah, yeah. this is online on YouTube. By the time this is out, we're sort of midway through it. But Chris Packham, oh, yeah. is back with Megan McCubbin and a couple of others on their channel. It's called Eight Out of Ten Bats. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> and That sounds lovely. Imagine sort of, it's a Autumn Watch-esque mm-hmm. sort of programme. It's an hour and a bit long, diving into everything that's going on at the moment, a few little um, off-cut videos, a few little sections about mushrooms and stuff like that. That's adorable. They do end on a joke. I'm not going to say they stole it. <laughs> Hold on a minute. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right, but, okay. Oh, yeah. Do they have actual jokes, though? Because if they do, then they didn't uh, I see it. Actually, from the first one, I don't think they're much much better. <laughs> yeah. um, Hannah, Hannah won't be re- reappearing. So this is her last show. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's at the moment. It's Monday to Thursday this week, and Monday to Thursday next week. It's live. But it's their own YouTube channel, is it? Not they, a BBC thing? No, their own, own YouTube okay. channel. This week they're up from up in Scotland. What, what's the channel? I should say the Forest Cold Pit that I mentioned is on iPlayer, BBC iPlayer. So um, you can find it there. Look for Forest Cold Pit. So yours is on YouTube. Um, so we've got a whole range of things. Um, but yeah, li- live at half past seven our time. It really, it's a live YouTube podcast. Yep. I don't think I've ever watched, apart from it's my good. son's gaming channels. Yeah, I think it's very... Um, 
high quality. Wonderful. Wonderful. Great. Okay. Well, that's, we will, as and when we see things that we like that sort of bring the countryside nature and, and that, that world to life, we will, we will recommend them. Please send in your recommendations, old or new, stuff on YouTube, stuff on the BBC or other channels. And again, it's editor at countryfile.com. But for now, I mean, lots, gosh, we've talked about lots of things. Hopefully we've stirred some interest in that you'll get in touch with us and we can have a conversation with you too. But I've loved chatting to you both again. Lovely to see you. And for now, it's goodbye. Whether it's gloriously sunny or a spring downpour, you can always get outdoors with Regatta. So what are you waiting for? Find a route, grab your walking shoes and start exploring. Regatta Great Outdoors offers all types of performance footwear, from technical hiking boots for regular ramblers to durable walking shoes for the whole family. With waterproof and breathable qualities, shock-absorbing comfort and superior grip, Regatta footwear is designed to withstand whatever challenges Mother Nature throws your way. Discover the range in stores nationwide and at regatta.com.